Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our preaching text this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you've been around here for the last few weeks, we know you know that we're on week four of a six-week series on the letter to the Galatians. So today we are reading the first few verses of chapter four. Listen once again to the word of the Lord. My point is this. Heirs as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of the whole property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Pater, So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods. Now, however, that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. Friends, I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Since we're reading Paul, and Paul is complicated, I invite you to take out your pew Bible and open to Galatians 4, or take out your Bible app and look at it it there. After grad school, I spent a month in Lithuania as a chaplain at an English camp. There's a lot about the town of Klaipeda, where I was living, that's lovely, but it was not exactly the romantic image of a month in Europe that I expected. A lot of Soviet-era apartments, the university buildings where I was living were designed in the 90s, so not all that gorgeous and beautiful. I lived across the street from a grocery store and a very weird interpretation of a pizza place. My day-to-day was not nearly as exciting or exotic as my life here in the great city of New York. 
But what I remember about that time is incandescent. I remember how amazing the fish was. This particular image of walking through birch trees and feeling like the world is impossibly old. Reading on a porch swing on the cold Baltic beach and feeling like nothing had ever been so perfect. But the reason that I remember those things with so much love, more than I remember Paris and London, is because I also remember the gathering of missionary teachers who lived in a dorm together and spent every evening drinking wine and laughing. I experienced being the new person in a family that comes together just every summer to serve the Lord and feeling like home. Very short-term friendships that made me a different kind of disciple going forward. Kleibna was beautiful because I felt the presence and the movement of God. God's beauty makes the beauty of God's gifts holy and satisfying. Before we can get a hold on these verses, we need to look at an illustration that Paul has been building for the entire book of Galatians. And that's, that's the picture of an unexpected rescue. It's not just any kind of rescue. God is making an invasion on the world. Or if cosmic reality is an egg, God is cracking it open. This is a picture that's running through the whole book. And it's hard to catch if you're reading it in snippets, like we're, of course, reading it in worship. So let's just go over that picture. Let's say that humanity has been conquered by an invading government called sin and death. It was so long ago that we don't even know that there's anything else out there. We're sin people and we're dying people. We live here, we follow the laws, the culture makes sense to us. It's who we are. We don't even know that we need to escape. Now, God has always had a rescue plan. Phase one was to gather a group of chosen people, the Israelites, to be the resistance on the ground. Paul is saying that God set down a fortress in the middle of sin and death territory, all of creation, where people enslaved to sin and death could live and flourish while they waited for rescue. That's how Paul is presenting the law. The law is good. It's a gift from God. It puts limits on what sin and death can do to the people who live inside of it. But it's not a coup. All the people living inside the fortress, they're safer. But just like everyone else in the world, they still have passports that say sin and death. But now God has a base of operations, and so he makes an invasion. He's born to a woman who is one of these resistance fighters. God comes to rescue from the very heart of sin and death country. Here's how it happens. God lives a sinless life in sin territory and dies anyway. And so the lie is exposed. The father raises the son to life 
and death's government over creation begins to crumble. This is no longer reality. Sin and death are out. Spirit is in. So Paul is telling this story and he busts into Galatians 4 with another illustration, two metaphors running in parallel. A child knows that she's going to inherit everything, but for now, she has a nanny. She can't make any decisions. It isn't time yet. Fortress time, law time, was a waiting period. And now that humanity is a rescued people, Paul is saying, we live in spirit territory under spirit law. We can live outside the fortress without being terrorized by sin and death. I want to pause to make a point here. It's been common in the history of the church to interpret this illustration and really the whole book of Galatians in an anti-Semitic way. People have read this to mean that Paul is saying the Jews pre-Jesus weren't advanced enough in religion and needed the law to guide them and that the Christians are enlightened enough to get rid of it. Or they've said, God gave up on the first covenant with the Jews and Jesus is plan B. This is exactly, absolutely the opposite of what Paul is saying. It's not God's people who outgrew the law. Outgrew. The law is good. The image here is that time itself matured. Look at verse 4. The fullness of time came. It's a weird way to say that God's rescue plan, plan A from the beginning of existence, from the beginning of the Bible, was ready. And it was ready because he had chosen and covenanted with a particular people into whom he chose to be born. Paul's point is two things. First, that humanity, all of humanity, is looking to God's chosen people for its freedom. And second, that everything that sin and death made necessary, including God's good gift of the law, including the separation of the people in the fortress and the rest of the citizens of sin and death, no longer makes any sense. Paul is saying that Christ enables us to live on the offense, to rebel in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, Philippians says, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's where things get complicated. We've got an interesting word here that's translated elemental spirits. The word is stoicheia. The phrase in Greek is stoicheia of the cosmos. And baseline, it probably means earth, air, fire, water. The elements of existence, right? These are thought of in contemporary philosophy at this time as big ruling forces in the natural order of things. Now, they did map on to gods and goddesses that the Galatians might have worshipped before the gospel came to them, but it's a little bit bigger than that, too. Aristotle talks about 20 pairs of stoicheia. There's limit and unlimited. There's rest and motion, light and darkness, unity and plurality, male and female. 
what you've got going on here is a big, big picture concepts that make up the natural order of things. Remember back in chapter three last week, Paul said there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female. He's probably thinking of these as stoicheia, as the natural order of things. But God is saying, as he says in Revelation, the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Being a part of those categories, the fact that rest and motion exist, or that there's such a thing as male and female, that isn't bad. Those are part of God's creation, but they're symbols. They're culturally bound symbols of the way things are. Things that run our lives. But when you turn to them for ultimate meaning and truth, they enslave, they kill, they abuse. These big things that order our lives, family, success, money, sex, love, happiness, pleasure, personal significance. These hold the power to mesmerize because we want them, because there's beauty in them. At the base, they draw us because they're gifts of God who is beauty itself. But anything that isn't God and that functions as a God will terrorize and enslave you. And they have no power to make you whole. So now that you've been rescued, why would you want to go back? That's the question to the Galatians, and that's the question for us, too. These things that seem so important, that rule your life and enslave you, they can't make you whole but you've been rescued by someone who can. So why do you want to go back? You might have noticed something ironic here. It's the fourth Sunday of Lent, and Paul is admonishing us not to observe special days and weeks. It's a very good reason that we never insist on church-wide rules for Lent. Whatever discipline you may or may not take up is between you and God. But I think the point of Lent observance and the point Paul is making are the same. When we dedicate ourselves to a voluntary discipline of penitence, we're turning from the elemental spirits of the world to the rescuer. It's not penance. That's trying to convince God that you're good enough. That is exactly what Paul is condemning in Galatians. It's penitence, which is turning away from your besetting sin, turning away even for a time from the good gifts of God that threaten to enslave and toward the one who offers wholeness. Is your life spent in pursuit of wealth? Are you living your life so that you can retire in luxury? The word of God says to you today, can money really give you lasting abundance? 
You are an heir to God's eternal life. Why do you want to be enslaved to the spirits of the world? Do you worship the image of your family? Are you forcing your children or your spouse to keep up appearances while ignoring who they are? Are you investing your whole identity in your children or your spouse? The word of God says, can even the most perfect relationships save you from the decay of all things? You are a child of the living God, so why do you want to be enslaved again? Do you sprint after approval? Do you build your identity on your promotion or your salary? Are you worshiping the perfect weight or the ultimate apartment? When we lift up our hearts to things that are by nature are not gods, good things that by nature are not gods, they enslave us. If you build your life on beauty, every scar or mark or wrinkle will kill you. If you build your life on sex or money, you will never, ever be satisfied. If you build your life on perfection, you will never be whole. If you build your life on your family, you will always be disappointed in them instead of receiving them as the gift that they are. Here's the thing. We are made longing. Formerly, Paul says, when you did not know God, we scramble among the gifts of God for something that can fill us with abundance and make us whole. No part of that is surprising. That's how we were made. We were made for wholeness. We were made to relentlessly search for wholeness because we were made to want and to discover and to build we were made to devote ourselves to something. We were made to be known and accepted. We were made in the image of God to represent God in the world. We were made to be perfect, made to be holy, made to be God's own people. And so in our sin, we go searching for all of those things, begging for them, not in God, but in the gifts he has given us. And because those gifts are things that by nature are not God's, the result is slavery to the creation, economic exploitation, broken relationships, casual lying, alcoholism, gluttony, vanity, sexual sin, hatred, meanness, envy, selfish ambition. The result is even murder, Slavery, torture, every kind of evil that you can imagine comes from a desperate longing for something to hold on to that will make us whole. And so Paul says, now that you know God, or rather, are known by God, knowing better is not going to make you do better unless you're whole first. And so what a gift it is to not be asked to be the knower until you are first fully known.
by the Lord. Khalil Gibran said, we live to discover beauty. All else is a form of waiting. Paul says, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. God created you to love. You seek wholeness because God created you to be whole. The problem of the stoicheia, the elemental spirits of the world, is that we seek wholeness in the beauty rather than the author of the beauty. Only the author can give the gifts as they are meant to be received. We sang this morning, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Tune my heart to love what I love because through it I can see the source of all hope. Tune my heart to take joy in the abundance of creation, to take joy in family, in beauty, in money, in food, in sex, in love, in success, in learning. Because Christ my God came to rescue me from this body of death and to give me abundant life, whether I have those things or not. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Amen.